let's continue thinking about trusting in God's power, and let's move on to the New Testament. Uh, The last few Sundays, uh, we were in the Old Testament, uh, thinking about uh, Abraham and Sarah, thinking about Jeremiah, thinking about Daniel and his friends. Now let's move to the New Testament, and let's think about God's power and how God's power is not limited. God can do anything. So let's go to our first passage, which is very familiar to us, I think, Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Things might be impossible for us, and rightly so. Our power is limited. We are not almighty, we are not omnipotent. We do not possess all wisdom. We do not have all knowledge. But there is one who is omnipotent. There is one who has all knowledge. There is one who is all wise, and that's God. So we should not be surprised that nothing is too hard for God, especially in view of the fact that we're weak, and things are hard for us. So there in Luke chapter 1, this is the account of the angel Gabriel appearing to Mary. And at first Mary was quite stunned, quite shocked. What manner of greeting is this? And then the good news comes, uh, this is Luke chapter uh, 1, verse 30. Uh, Then the angel said to her, said to Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor. You have found grace with God. In other words, God is interested in you. You're special to God. God has noticed you. Uh, Verse 31, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. The name Jesus is special. It means God saves or God is salvation. Uh, Verse 32 and 33 tells us about the greatness of this son that will be born to Mary. He will be great and he will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign, he will rule over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Now that's just an amazing statement about the greatness of of Mary's baby that she shall name Jesus. Uh, through uh, Jesus, the Davidic dynasty will be raised up again. He will, he will actually rule and reign as a king. He will be a continuation, or you might say a revival and a continuation of David's rule and David's dynasty. And as you know, in the Old Testament, God made the promise that there would be a descendant of David who would occupy David's throne and rule and reign forever. And here's this child that will be born Uh, from Mary, uh, who fits that description. Uh, Verse 33, he'll rule and reign over the house of Jacob, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So he'll be an eternal ruler. Uh, And so Mary now has a question. She knows she's a virgin, she's not married, she has not had intimacy with a man, so she has a question. Verse 34, then Mary said to the angel, well, how can this be, since I do not know a man? Mary knows the process of human procreation. She understands that. And she just doesn't know how this is going to be. She's not doubting God. She's not saying, God, you can't do it. She's not saying it won't come to pass, but she's just asking God, how? Lord, how do you plan to do this? Because I'd sure like to know, (laughs) is Mary's thinking here. And so the angel answered, verse 35, Then the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the highest, that's the power of God, the power of the highest. Now let me ask you this, does does anyone have any more power than the power of the highest? No. No. Because if God is the highest, 
the highest being in the whole universe, how can anyone have any more power than the highest? How can anyone have any more power than the greatest? So uh, the, the angel says to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest uh, will overshadow you. In other words, the power of the highest will envelop you, will surround you, will engulf you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. So the angel essentially says to Mary, you remain a virgin, but don't worry about anything. My power, my Holy Spirit and my power will take care of what is impossible for you or what is uh, totally uh, unheard of among human beings. And then the angel decides to give Mary some encouragement, because obviously this this must have come as a shock to Mary. You can well imagine what she might be thinking here. And so here's some encouragement. Verse 36, and it's interesting how God encourages people. He knows their needs, he knows what they're thinking, and he comes along and encourages Mary and says in verse 36, Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. So here's the word of encouragement. You know, Mary, you know, you, you have a relative... Uh, a cousin named Elizabeth, and you know she's getting well along in years, and you know that she and her husband Zacharias have been wanting to have a baby all their life. They've been praying about that, but they have not been able to have a child. And so the good news uh, to Mary to encourage her that God will surely do for her some great thing, because look at what God's doing in the life of her cousin Elizabeth. Elizabeth, well advanced in age, well past the normal age of having children, the good news comes, she's already six months along in her pregnancy. And here comes verse 37 as an explanation. For, you notice that little word for, that indicates an explanation. For, with God, nothing. Now what does nothing mean? It means nothing, absolutely nothing. Nada, zero, zilch, nothing will be impossible. That's great news. That's the kind of God we love. That's the kind of God we worship. That's the kind of God in whom we trust. Nothing will be impossible. So then that means, is it possible for God to give uh, some sort of rebirth to this church and a real real revival here and and help this church to grow? Of course. Nothing is impossible for God. Do you have some problem, some difficulty in your life? Pray to God. Ask God to take over. Ask God to guide you and direct you and help you and, and resolve the situation. There's nothing impossible for God. Now, we don't always know what God's plan is. Uh, Remember last Sunday we were talking about Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And you remember how Nebuchadnezzar didn't like their non-compliance and non-conformity to his agenda of bowing down to that great gold statue. And they flat out told Nebuchadnezzar, we're not going to bow down to your gold statue. That's all there is to it. And they said, you know, our God is able to deliver us. There's no doubt about it. Our God has the power to deliver us from your fiery furnace. But if God chooses not to deliver us, see, that's, that's, that's the difference. God has the ability to deliver us from that fiery furnace, but we don't know if it's God's will to deliver us from that fiery furnace. So they said, if, if, if not, then we're not, just not going to bow down. That's all there is to it. So, so we know God has the power and the ability to do things, to do whatever he wants to do, but we don't always know what God's will is in any given situation. Sometimes it's not always God's will to heal us of every illness and every sickness immediately. Sometimes an illness goes on for some time. 
because God has a plan to allow the sufferings and the difficulties of the problems of life to help us or motivate us to trust him more. So we know it's not God's will to necessarily uh, empower us to live an easy, carefree life. It's not necessarily God's will to make me a multi-millionaire. I mean, if it was God's will for all Christians to be multi-millionaires and every Christian to be a multi-millionaire, but that's not God's will. That's not God's plan because that's not what is important in life. What is important in life is being conformed to the image of Jesus as a result of trusting in Jesus as our Savior. So we just need to make a, a, a distinction between God having all the power. We trust in him. There's nothing that he cannot do, but sometimes we're not always sure what God's plan and purpose is in a given situation. Now, in this situation, in Luke chapter 1, we know it's God's will because we're told, Mary, you're going to have a baby. You're going to call him Jesus. And you can trust in me to do it, says God through the angel Gabriel, because, well, there's nothing too hard for God to do. So that's a great source of encouragement here. So Mary responds in verse 38, and she says, Behold, uh, the maidservant of the Lord. In other words, I'm simply the, the, the servant of God. I'm the slave of God. I'm eager to do whatever God wants me to do. I'm eager to be used by God in whatever way he wants to use me. So Mary says, Lord, let it be to me. Let it happen to me according to your word. Let everything happen to me just as you have said. And so Mary was quite okay with all of this. She had a very humble attitude. Uh, a very compliant attitude, uh, and just eager to see God work in and through her for the sake of the whole covenant community. So let's remember this passage. For with God, nothing will be impossible. All right, let's go to our next passage, Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Let's go back to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 9. So here we meet some men who really had problems. They were blind. And you can imagine how hard it must have been back at that time to be blind. You probably couldn't work. And to my knowledge, there was no really real real welfare program or anything special for blind people. I suppose many of them just often begged and uh, depended upon other people for, for charity. So they certainly had a need. They certainly had a problem. And they certainly wanted to be alleviated of their blindness. They just loved to have the gift of sight. Um, I don't think we're told here whether they were born blind and they've always been blind, or at one time they had the gift of sight and they became blind. That's not not really stated here. But notice, if you will, if you're there in Matthew chapter 9, notice verse 27. Uh, When Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. Now why do you think they were following Jesus? Because they knew Jesus could do something for them. They looked at Jesus and they were hopeful. Perhaps before they were full of despair. But Jesus came on the scene with his public ministry. And Jesus started doing all kinds of ministry and showing mercy and all kinds of human suffering. And also, notice they say they cried out. In other words, they weren't bashful, they weren't whispering, they were really speaking up. Son of David. Now, I find that very interesting. They're calling out to Jesus and saying, Jesus, you are the son of David. What do you think that means? 
Remember back in Luke chapter 1? The announcement of the uh, angel Gabriel to Mary. You're going to have a son. Uh, he, he shall be the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And of course the Old Testament understanding of the coming of the Messiah would be that the Messiah would be a descendant of David. He would be born in the city of David, the city of Bethlehem. So I believe these two blind men are in effect saying, when they call Jesus, thou son of David, they're in effect saying, we believe you are the Messiah. We believe that you are the promised one that was foretold in the Old Testament that would come into the world. We believe God Almighty is working his plans and his purposes through you. So just in the calling of Jesus, son of David, they're showing their faith. And they have great faith. They've been following Jesus, been crying out, Son of David, have mercy, have compassion on us. It also means they believe that God's compassion, God's mercy, God's love, God's grace is being channeled through the Son of David, Jesus Christ. So, verse 28, when they had come into the house, the blind men came to Jesus and said to him, uh, Jesus said to them, Jesus said to them, do you believe that I am able to do this? Now, Jesus knows exactly what they want. He knows they want the gift of eyesight. So Jesus asks him, do you believe that I am able, that I am powerful enough, that I am capable, that I am competent to do this great thing that you want done, to have your eyesight restored? And they said to him, yes, Lord. That means, yeah, we believe. We believe you're able. You're able to do this. So then verse 29, Jesus touched their eyes saying, according to your what? According to your faith. Let it be to you. These men believe. Jesus saw their faith. Jesus appreciated their faith. And uh, every time I read my Bible and we have an instance of faith coming up and, and, and just so many passages where Jesus compliments people for their faith. Jesus loves your faith. He loves my faith. He enjoys it. He delights in it. So, verse 30, their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, saying, see that no one knows it. Well, that's going to be kind of hard. I'm sure a lot of people knew these guys were blind. They couldn't see. They couldn't work. They had a hard time. They needed help getting around. And all of a sudden they can see to get the gift of eyesight. And they, need, they don't need any help anymore. That's going to be kind of hard to hide. Somehow Jesus says, see that no one knows it. But when they departed, they spread the news abroad about Jesus and all that he did for them throughout the country. I often wondered, why did Jesus tell them, make sure nobody knows about it? I don't know, I've often wondered, did Jesus say that just so they would be all the more motivated to go out and tell everybody? Uh, Did he say that to them um, to kind of curb their enthusiasm? Because Jesus did not want people to take hold of him and make him king by force. Because Jesus knows the plan of God right now is to go to the cross. When he comes back the second time, he'll be installed as king in Jerusalem. So again, just an encouraging passage. We see the faith of these blind men who, as they stand before the Lord Jesus, are able to say with a straight faith and in sincerity of heart, yes, Lord, we believe you are able. And that's what we need to say to God. In view of our problems, even in view of our church and wanting to grow, Lord, you are able. We believe you are able. Now show us what you want us to do. What is our part? What is our responsibility? Let's go to another passage. And this is... uh Uh, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. If you will, go to Mark 14. Mark 14. Just go over to your next Gospel, Mark. Mark chapter 14. So Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane here. 
You know, that's a hard situation for Jesus to get to this point. He's gone up to Jerusalem. His disciples are with him. So if you will, go to Mark chapter 14. Uh, Mark chapter 14, and maybe we'll begin the reading in verse 34. Mark 14, verse 34. Uh, Jesus said to them, that is his disciples, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. Jesus went a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. So Jesus is thinking about the hour of suffering, the hour of crucifixion, the hour of agony, the hour of being handed into the power and the determination of sinful human beings that will crucify him. He's asking God, God, if it's possible, may this hour pass from me. Verse 36, And Jesus said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. So here Jesus in this this very difficult situation, confesses to God the Father, God, all things are possible for you. In other words, there's nothing you cannot do. But notice what Jesus says now. All things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. That's Jesus' desire. On the one hand, Jesus in his flesh, and he had a real flesh and blood human body. Uh, He can really feel pain and agony and misery. He can feel the pain of rejection. He can feel the brutality of crucifixion. So he asks God the Father, take this cup, this cup of suffering away from me. Nevertheless, not what I I will, but what you will. So yes, all things are possible for God, his heavenly Father, but it was not God's will that Jesus escaped the cross. And by the way, I'm thankful Jesus went to the cross and was crucified there for me. So, just another example or another passage where uh, someone is confessing that all things are possible for God. God is not limited. Uh, He's not impotent. Uh, His hand is not short or slack to do whatever he wants to do. He truly is the omnipotent, almighty God of the universe for whom nothing is too hard. I think we have time for one more passage. Oh, let's go to Hebrews, if you will. Just... To compare, and then we'll be in Hebrews for our next passage that I have on the list. So, if you will, just go to Hebrews 5. Uh, there's a parallel reference here. Hebrews 5. This goes along with the Garden of Gethsemane passage where Jesus was asking God to be delivered from the cross. Um, he, he confessed that all things were possible for God, his Heavenly Father, but it was not God's will that he escaped the cross. So if you're there in uh, Hebrews 5, we have a passage that makes reference to the suffering of Jesus. Um, Hebrews uh, points out that Jesus is a high priest. He's an extraordinary and great high priest. Um, So notice, if you will, there in uh, Hebrews 5 and verse 7, referring to Jesus, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears... To him who was able to save him from death. That was probably the Garden of Gethsemane experience. That's probably where Jesus was offering up vehement cries and tears to him, to God his Heavenly Father, who was able. See that word able again? To able. God was able to save him from death. And Jesus was heard because of his godly fear. So that's interesting. Jesus prayed. 
to God as Heavenly Father, who was able, able to save him from death. And the text here says that Jesus was heard. But he wasn't saved from death. He wasn't saved from going to the cross. You see, our prayers are heard by God, even if God doesn't answer them the exact way we want them answered. So keep that in mind. Jesus is able to say he, he cried out and he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. A vehement cries, uh, uh, prayers went up to God, even with tears, that he might be saved from death. And the text says, and Jesus' prayer was heard. Well, oh, then if Jesus' prayer was heard, he must have been saved from death and didn't have to go to the cross, right? No, wrong. Jesus' prayer was heard by his heavenly Father. God hears our prayers, but God is still going to work out his will and his purposes in our life, and that's a good thing. Uh, Verse 8, though Jesus was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things he suffered. He learned the high cost of obedience by suffering. Sometimes obedience to God isn't always easy. It might be a hard path or a hard course. And so Jesus uh, went to the cross on behalf of us. I suppose in some sense he, he was saved from death in the sense that although he was crucified, he was raised again and came back from the dead. So keep that in mind. We believe in a God for whom nothing is impossible. He can do all things. But we still have to submit and surrender our lives to God's will. When we pray, God does hear our prayers. But that doesn't mean just because God hears our prayers, God is going to do everything exactly the way we want. Okay, one more passage here. Uh, You're already in Hebrews, so just go back to Hebrews 2. One more God is able passage, and then we'll be done for this evening. Uh, Hebrews 2, beginning in verse uh, 16. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 16, referring to Jesus. Uh, For indeed, Jesus does not give aid, he does not give help, he does not give assistance to angels. But he, Jesus, does give aid, he does give help, he does give assistance to the seed of Abraham. He gives assistance to us human beings. Therefore, in all things, Jesus had to be made like his brethren. In this context, it's referring to the fact that Jesus, uh, the eternal Son of God, had to become human. He had to assume a human body, he had to assume a human flesh and blood body that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. In other words, if Jesus is going to represent us human beings to God, Jesus had to enter into our world of humanity. He had to become a human being. Otherwise, how could we have a good representative in heaven if he's not human like us? Hebrews goes on to point out that although Jesus was human, he was absolutely sinless. And notice what we have in verse uh, 17. Jesus is going to be the propitiation for the sins of the people. In other words, Jesus is going to be that payment, that sacrifice for human sins that will forever satisfy God's demands that our sins be judged so that we can avert God's wrath. That's what propitiation means. God is satisfied uh, with Jesus' suffering on our behalf so that we can avoid and avert God's wrath on our sins. Notice verse 18 now. For in that Jesus himself has suffered, being tempted. In other words, he became human. He entered into our world of humanity. He was tempted as we are tempted. He suffered. Chapter 4 points out he was absolutely sinless. Notice verse 18 now. He is able. He is able to aid. He is able to help. He is able to come to the rescue. He is able to come to the assistance of those who are being tempted. And that's us. We are the ones being tempted, and so often we succumb to temptation and we don't do God's will. We sin, 
we fail, we do evil, we miss the mark of God's will, we transgress God's laws, but there is someone who is able to help us because he became flesh and blood, he became human. He was that final once for all uh, offering for our sins that forever satisfies God's justice so that his wrath can be turned away. We put our faith and trust in Jesus and he is able to help us because he's able to save us. He's a perfect savior. Remember now, there's nothing God cannot do. And that includes saving sinful, wretched human beings that don't love him and don't like him. God is able to come down through the sacrifice of his son, uh, show his love for us, and save us from our sins. So let's be encouraged tonight. Let's think about God's greatness. Let's think about God's power. Um, There's nothing impossible for him to do, even when it comes to us and our salvation. It's great. It's wonderful. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the reminders tonight from various passages of Scripture that you're able. You're able to do for us when we're not able. When we're weak, we're frail, things seem overwhelming and impossible for us, Lord, we can turn to you, the omnipotent, almighty God of the universe, for whom nothing is too hard. So encourage us this evening, Lord, individually in our own personal lives and in our families. Encourage us as a congregation to keep trusting in you. And may we be zealous to do your work here and be dedicated to this ministry uh, so that we can see your hand of blessing on our church that it might grow for your great namesake. We commit our lives to you and ask for your blessing this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Final hymn, uh, 439. O thou in whose presence my soul takes delight. That's maybe the heart of worship. Delighting in God. Delighting in his presence. 439. Let's sing the first, the second, and the last. 439.